This show contains descriptions of violent crimes and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On October 22, 2015, 21-year-old Anton Lundin Pettersson entered the Kronan School in the town of Trollhättan, armed with a huge sword. His mission was to kill, but some students thought he was pranking. I guess the situation was so unreal. We don't really have school shootings here in Sweden. I guess because it's much more difficult for a Swedish teenager to get a hold of a gun. But that doesn't mean we don't have frustrated teenagers. And even if you're armed with a sword, the damage you can cause is horrible. And welcome to episode 36 of True Crime Sweden. I am your host, Panilla. I want to say welcome to all the new listeners. I'm really glad to have you all here. And thank you to everyone who left me a review. I read every one of them, and you guys are so sweet. Thank you so much. And sometimes I also get emails from my listeners. Sent to truecrimesweden at gmail.com. And I did get a sweet email the other day with a wish to say hello to someone. So, hello, Carolina from Skelleftio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Carolina and her wife Patricia, who actually is from California, live together in northern Sweden now. And in their bedtime routine, they listen to my podcast every night to fall asleep. I don't know if that is a good thing for me, that I put people to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. I always listen to podcasts myself when I'm dozing off. And then I re-listen to the episode in the morning. So thank you, Patricia and Carolina, for listening. I hope you like this episode. And are you, as I am, kind of obsessed with the John Benet Ramsey case? True Crime Garage has just released four episodes on the case on Stitcher. You can listen to a lot of shows on Stitcher Premium. I know I said this before, but I really recommend that you check out Off the Record with Nick and the Captain from True Crime Garage. They release an episode of Off the Record each week and you get extra content around that week's case, and also some updates on old cases, in which new information has come up. Another great thing about using Stitcher Premium is that you get ad-free episodes of, for example, My Favorite Murder and Criminology, plus some hit shows from the Wondering Network, such as Dr. Death, The Vanished Podcast, and many, many more. Stitcher Premium offers thousands of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes and archives, and hundreds of stand-up comedy albums for when you need to get off your true crime binge and just laugh a little. And of course, my show is also available on Stitcher Premium. To get a free trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code SWEDEN when you sign up. That's stitcherpremium.com and use promo code SWEDEN. And remember, by supporting my sponsors, you also support my show. Thank you. Now, over to the story. 
As I said in the intro, we don't really have school shootings in Sweden. I guess the main reason that we don't is the fact that there are not so many weapons around. Of course, we have illegal weapons, actually a lot of them right now, and we do have shootings. But if you hear about a shooting, it's almost always criminal gangs who are shooting at each other. A regular teenager has a hard time finding a firearm in this country. With that said, this attack on a school was the deadliest attack in Swedish history, even though a firearm wasn't used. There has been violence and deaths at schools before 2015, though. The first occurrence was in 1961, the Kungälv school shooting, when one person was killed and six injured. And in 1979, a 39-year-old teacher in Gothenburg was stabbed to death by a drunk 15-year-old when he told him to go home and sleep it off. The third school death was in Stockholm in 2001. A 16-year-old boy was killed in a high school west of the city. Also in 2001, a student on a high school in the town of Sundsvall stabbed two classmates. One of them died. The town we are visiting today, Trollhättan, is located 75 kilometers, about an hour's drive, north of Sweden's second largest city, Gothenburg, on the west coast, and about 47,000 people live there. Trollhättan has a history of hate crimes starting with arson at a mosque in the 1990s. The definition of a hate crime is a crime against a person or a group committed because of the person or the group's religion, race, nationality, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. But what happened that day in October of 2015? We start in a two-bedroom apartment in the city of Trollhättan. And the words by Rob Zombie sounds from a cell phone on the kitchen table. Dead, I am the one, exterminating sun, slipping through the trees, strangling the breeze. Dead, I am the sky, watching angels cry, while they slowly turn. Conquering the Worm Anton Lundin Pettersson's home was in pedantic order that day, October 22nd, 2015. The calendar on the wall had the date circled and a drawn black skull next to it. 22 had always been Anton's lucky number and this day was carefully chosen. There was still one hour before he was going to leave his apartment. Anton was struggling with the volume and headphones on his phone. Just like Anders Bering Breivik, who committed the 2011 Norway attack, killing 77 people while listening to music in his iPod, Anton also wanted a soundtrack to what he was about to do. After careful consideration, he chose the song Dragula by Rob Zombie from the movie Matrix from 1999. Next to his bed in the bedroom was his desk, where he had his computer and some other electronic equipment. Anton sat down by his computer and opened up the Facebook page of his older brother. Let's call him Peter. Why he did this is unknown. Maybe he just wanted to look at him one last time. After closing the Facebook tab on the browser, he opened World of Warcraft and sent a message to one of his closest online friends, a 25-year-old man in the Netherlands. It said, Hey man, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll get right down to it. I'm going to be dead in the next hour or two. Max, I remember all the fun we had playing SWTOR together, and I want you to know that you're the best friend I've ever had. You're awesome. I'm going to miss you so much. 
even though I know I could have been more active. But you know me. Fucking hate myself. If there is an afterlife, I hope to see you there. Those fucking cups better aim straight. I really don't want to survive the rampage. Anyway, I love you. Signed, Anton. The message was sent at 9.11 a.m., and neither the police nor Anton's family would find it afterwards. It wasn't until a journalist who wanted to write a book about the tragedy asked to check Anton's computer again that this message was revealed. After turning the computer off, Anton left the bedroom and went into the bathroom. He put white foundation all over his face and used a black eyeliner to accentuate his eyes. Before leaving the bathroom, he sprinkled glitter in his hair. While in the hallway, he picked up a notepad and wrote a short letter. In it, he said that his family is not to be blamed for his actions. Instead, he blames society and the government, who he says don't care about their own people. All they care about is immigrants and refugees. And this forced him to take action. The blood is on their hands. And at the end, he states... P.S. If I survive and become a vegetable, pull the plug. Anton put the letter on the chest of drawers in the hallway and put a brand new pair of black boots and a black army coat on. He opened a wardrobe and took out a big package from a hunting store. He left the apartment and locked the door before walking down the two flight of stairs to his father's grey Saab 93. The fresh air of late October hit him in the face while he walked the few steps to the car in the parking lot. He put the package in the back seat and drove off. First, he went to his brother Pieter's apartment and opened the door with his own key. He knew Pieter had already left for work and he placed a very expensive cell phone on his kitchen table. Next to it, he put his brown wallet containing his last cash. At about ten o'clock in the morning, Anton was back in his car again and drove the short distance to Kronan School, a school with students aged between six and sixteen. Anton knew exactly what he was going to do. He had a plan. He must do this to save Sweden and himself from the hell that this society has become. Frustration and hatred were bottled up inside of him. His personal problems were intertwined with what he considered a societal problem, increased immigration of people from all over the world. In the fall of 2015, the countries of the European Union were hit by a European migrant crisis, or the European refugee crisis. That is a term given to a period beginning in 2015 when rising numbers of people arrived in the European Union, traveling across the Mediterranean Sea or overland through Southeast Europe. These people included asylum seekers, but also others such as economic migrants and some hostile agents, including Islamic State militants disguised as refugees or migrants. Most of the migrants came from Muslim-majority countries of regions south and east of Europe, including Western Asia, South Asia, and Africa. According to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the top three nationalities of entrance of the over one million Mediterranean Sea arrivals between, between January 2015 and March 2016 were from Syria, 
46.7%, or from Afghanistan, 20.9%, or from Iraq, 9.4%. Anton was deeply worried about how these large amounts of refugees coming to Sweden would affect society. And in his state of mind, he thought killing people in Kronan's school, with a majority of students and employees from other countries, would send a message and a statement to the Swedish government. Anton arrives at Kronan's school. He is going very fast when he's turning the Saab left into the parking lot of the school. He stays in the car until people on the parking lot has left his sight. Then he takes the package from the back seat to the front seat and pulls out a sword. He puts on a German World War II helmet and a mask similar to the one Darth Vader used in Star Wars. You remember Darth Vader? Lastly, he puts on the headphones in his ears and turns the music on. At 10.06, people in the schoolyard starts to notice the person all dressed in black and with a mask covering his face. Anton opens the door on the side of the school and steps inside. A door leading to the school cafeteria is on his right and to his left is a hall that ends up in the area where the youngest children are. But Anton walks straight ahead, passing some bathrooms on the way. No one inside has noticed him yet, but as he is nearing the school cafeteria on the other end of the hall, the woman who is working behind the counter see him walk through the open door. The teaching assistant, Lavigne, and his student, David, is sitting in the far end of the cafeteria, doing something on Lavin's laptop. Anton walks straight towards the two, until he's standing right next to them. And that is when Lavin and David first notice him. Anton raises the sword, and stabs Lavin in the head. The stab cuts deep into his forehead and he falls to the ground. David, who was sitting next to Lavin when this happened, yells out, What the hell are you doing? at the same time as he realizes that he is in danger himself, and stands up. Anton's sword hits him in his right forearm, with the flat side of the blade. David starts running for his life, and he manages to escape. A teacher who is standing on the second floor of the school, overlooking the cafeteria, saw everything from a distance and immediately calls the police at 10.08, two minutes after Anton entered the school. This is a transcript of what he said on that call. Operator, 112, what has happened? Teacher, hello? Operator, yes? Teacher, I'm at Kronan School. Please come to Kronan School in Trollhättan. Operator, what kind of help do you need? Medical, police or firefighters? Teacher, we need police and medical. Operator, what is happening? Teacher, there's a crazy person here who has stabbed personnel and... Operator, what address? Teacher, Lantmannavägen 113 in Trollhättan. Operator, 116. Teacher, 113. Operator, Kronan School in Trollhättan. Teacher, yes, and there's this madman here who stabbed someone. Operator, all right, so at least one person is hurt. Teacher, yes. Operator, okay, let's see, and where's... Teacher, are you coming? Operator, yes, we are coming as fast as we can. Where is this person now? Teacher, he's downstairs somewhere. Operator, so the man with the knife is on the ground floor somewhere. Teacher, yes, 
Operator. And the man who was stabbed, is he breathing and awake? Teacher. I don't know. While this call is taking place, Anton is still standing next to Lavigne. He doesn't run after David. Instead, he lifts his sword with both his hands in the air and stabs Lavigne with full force twice in his back while he is lying face down on the floor. The first stab is so hard, it goes through his heart. Anton then walks back the same way that he came, back to where he entered the school. He now enters the hall where the younger children are, where a teacher and a little boy are sitting. The teacher asks him why he is dressed like that, but Anton doesn't respond. He just keeps walking. Anton reaches a door to the stairway, but it's locked. A cleaning lady is finishing up her shift, but Anton just looks at her, turns around and starts walking back again. Three teenage girls has now appeared in the hall, and Anton starts walking faster to get closer to them. The girls notice him and get scared. They start running and manage to escape to a home economics classroom. They lock the door and they see Anton standing outside banging his sword on the door for a while, before he gives up and walks back towards the cafeteria. The 15-year-old student, Ahmed Hassan, happened to walk by the cafeteria and noticed Lavin lying on the floor. He walks up to him and immediately starts to scream for help. He could see that Lavin was severely hurt. Another cleaner comes by a Swedish lady called Ulla, and they both look worriedly at Lavin. By that time, Anton is back in the cafeteria, and he walks straight towards them. He takes one look at Ulla and then focuses attention on Ahmed. A second later, Anton forces the sword straight into Ahmed's stomach with a quick motion. Ulla runs for her life. And when she looks back, she can see Ahmed is holding both his hands on his stomach and there's blood pouring down over his pants. Ahmed starts walking out of the cafeteria. He reaches the top of the flight of stairs and can barely make it down the steps. With one hand on his stomach and the other one holding the rail, he stumbles down to the ground floor and collapses at the foot of the stairs. He lays there for a while, and then he starts to vomit. It is now 10.12 a.m., and it has been six minutes since Anton walked in to the Kronan school and started choosing his victims. The school building is big, and there are still people who know nothing about what is going on. Anton leaves the cafeteria again and continues to the area where the junior high students are, the South Hall. He is carrying the sword on his left shoulder and it is covered with Ahmed's blood. Anton meets two girls who are supposed to be in class, but they were excused to go get notepads from their lockers. The two girls look at Anton and try to understand what he is doing and why he is wearing such a creepy outfit. Since it's almost time for Halloween, they think he has dressed up. The costume and the blood look so real. And they ask if they can take a picture with him. Anton doesn't say anything, but he waves his hands in a forward motion, signaling that it's okay to pose for a picture. The two girls stand on each side of Anton, and a third child, a boy who just happened to walk by, takes the picture. 
This photo is later to become the symbol of this attack. The three students had no idea what Anton had done previous to this selfie, and they did not know that they were in immediate danger. They are laughing and having a great time. After the picture is taken, more students gather around Anton, and they all want to see how the photo turned out. Their teacher, Nasir Amso, 42 years old, walks out to see what is causing so much commotion in the hallway. When he sees Anton wearing a scary outfit, he immediately reacts and thinks it's highly inappropriate for a student to be walking around school looking like that. Nasir walks up to Anton and tries to pull his mask off. Anton responds with a quick stab in Nasir's stomach. Nasir then tries to grab the sword, but his hands and arms are badly cut. Footage of this horrible scene is caught by the security cameras, and it's heartbreaking to see the faces of the students turn from excitement to terror when Nasir was attacked. Nasir then starts screaming, Call the police! And with his hands on his stomach, he starts running away from Anton. He runs out the entrance door, stumbling, falling, getting up again, and finally falling down on a small lawn close to the parking lot outside. His shirt is dark red from all the blood, and people are soon gathering around him to help. They try to stop the bleeding, and Nasir says, There are more inside. People are hurt inside. Call my wife. Anton, who was running after Nasir for a while, stops by the top of the stairs on the second floor. He doesn't want to walk down to the ground floor and the main entrance of the school. Instead, he starts walking along the hallway where the junior high classes are held. He knocks on each of the classroom doors as he walks past them. Towards the end of the hall, 15-year-old Vahed, who is sitting closest to the door in his classroom, hears the knocks and get up to see who it is. He is very surprised to see a man wearing a black mask when he opens the door. Vahed said, Who are you? But Anton doesn't reply. He just raises his sword and jams it into Wahed's stomach. Somehow, Wahed doesn't know how himself when he tells the story afterwards. He managed to push Anton away from the door and lock it in front of him. The classmates doesn't understand anything when Wahed walks back to his desk with blood dripping from his stomach. Some are laughing, saying it looks like a cool Halloween prank. It is now 10.14 a.m., eight minutes after this horror began. Anna and Stefan, two local police officers, arrive at the school. Six minutes before, they heard on the police radio that someone had been stabbed in the school cafeteria. A stabbing could mean anything from a misunderstanding by a witness to a murder, so they were preparing for everything. As more and more 112 calls start coming in, they get a better understanding of what is going on. They learn of a black-masked man, a large sword, one perpetrator, possibly more. Anna thinks to herself, This is a strongly motivated perpetrator who probably needs to be stopped at any cost and as soon as possible to prevent him from killing more people. This is what we have been training for, she later says to reporters, and she thinks to herself, I will probably need to shoot someone today. After two school shootings in Finland in 2007 and 2008, where 20 innocent people were gunned down, you can actually listen to an episode about the Kauhaujoki school shooting 
on episode 21 of True Crime Finland. But back to our story. After the school shootings in Finland, the Swedish Police Academy changed their training in 2012 to include a protocol called the Immediate Action Rapid Deployment, IARD. It is a Canadian police tactic where first responders, typically regular officers, actively confront a developing high-risk crisis. This is opposed to first responders acting to secure the area and wait for backup. The main priority that is taught in the academy is for the first responders to stop the perpetrator, no matter what the cost. Anna, Stefan and their colleagues at the Trollhättan police force had trained for this exact situation in an old abandoned school building outside of Uddevalla, six months before. They had actors with real animal blood pouring from them, faking a real situation. So they were mentally prepared for what to think and how to act when faced with a real gunman. Anton wasn't carrying a gun, but he was equipped with a deadly weapon. When they get closer to the main entrance of the school, Anna and Stefan see Nasir lying on the grass surrounded by a group of people who were trying to save his life. They keep going. According to police protocol, they should only focus on the perpetrator. With their weapons pulled, they walk through the door and look around to get a feel for the area. To the left... Lavin is laying on his stomach in the cafeteria where Anton left him. By the foot of the stairs, the 15-year-old Ahmed is gasping for air, badly wounded. Anna and Stefan keep going past him. Stefan later says to reporter that the look in Ahmed's terrified eyes is something that keeps coming back to him. In his nightmares. When Stefan and Anna reach the top of the stairs, they see Anton walking further ahead, and Stefan yells out, Police, stop! Let go of the sword! Anton, who hadn't seen them until they screamed at him, quickly turns around and starts walking towards them. When he gets closer, he raises his hands with a sword and looks at them with a firm gaze. It has now been about 45 seconds since the police walked into the school. And Anna later said, Oh my God, it's just a young boy, when she described the moment when she got eye contact with Anton that day. The two police officers both raised their guns and fire at the exact same time. One shot hit Anton in his gut, and he falls to his knees, grunts while he's still holding his sword, and then he fell to the side, losing the grip of the weapon. It's silent again. The only thing sounding is the music from Anton's headphones as they have fallen out of his ears. Stefan goes up to him and puts handcuffs on him. Then he pulls the mask off to see who this man is while waiting for the ambulance to arrive. The first one to get stabbed, 20-year-old Lavin, died at the scene. 15-year-old Ahmed, who were lying on the bottom of the stairs, died in the hospital later that same day. And the teacher, Nasir, died six weeks later in the hospital at the age of 42. On the morning of October 23rd, the day after the attack, 
Swedish police confirmed to the media that the motive behind the attack had racist motives and that it was a hate crime. The city police chief stated that all of the victims were, and I quote, dark-skinned. And the head of the police investigation said that the surveillance tapes showed that Anton Lundin Pettersson had spared the lives of students and employees with white skin. Anton did not attack any women. But who was Anton Lundin Pettersson? And what could possibly turn a 21-year-old man into a mass murderer like this? Anton lived in an apartment in the neighborhood of Stavre in Trollhättan, but chose to attack the Kronan school in Kronogården, where there are more immigrants. He graduated from high school with a diploma in technology two years before the school attack. Anton never had a lot of friends growing up. Instead, online video games such as World of Warcraft, Skyrim and Might and Magic were his world. He had always been fascinated by war, fantasy, violence and Vikings. Friends from school describe him as extremely shy and quiet. In high school, Anton let his hair grow, he dyed it black, and wore black boots and a black cape all the time. After a couple of years of appearing very goth, Anton cut his long hair and started dressing much more conventionally, and that was after he left high school. His family, who had been worried about his mental health for many years, thought that he had finally started to get his life together. In the summer before the school attacks, Anton suddenly started saying yes to invitations to family gatherings again. His older brother, Peter, and his mother were hoping that this was the starting point of a new Anton, someone who didn't just spend time in front of the computer, rather someone who is out there in the world socializing with friends and loved ones. This period was soon over, though. Towards the end of the summer, Anton started isolating himself again. Peter, his brother, who was constantly trying to get him to do stuff together, found out that Anton used to sleep in the middle of the day. Anton's mother, who had experience with clinical depression, voiced concerns about the possibility of Anton being depressed. Anton kept most of his anxiety bottled up. But in the last months of his life, his family started noticing that he was more irritable and aggressive. Little things that did not bother him before started becoming reason for being upset. Anton spent a lot of time playing games or reading conversations on 4chan. 4chan is an image board website. Users generally post anonymously, with the most recent post appearing above the rest. 4chan is split into various boards with their own specific content and guidelines. The site has been linked to internet subcultures and activism groups, most notable Anonymous, the Alt-Right, and Project Chanology. 4chan users have been responsible for the formation or popularization of internet memes, such as LOL Cats, Rick Rowling, and many others. On 4chan, Anton searched for violence, hate, death, and self-loathing. He downloaded a large number of pictures and screenshots related to those topics. Anton also had an admiration for masculine alpha males. On social media, he followed bodybuilders, MMA superstars, and the American fitness model Jeff Zayed. He had a YouTube account 
which in hindsight shows Anton's development from insecure music-loving teenager to a young adult filled with racism and hatred towards society. Anton didn't join an organization of people who shared his views. He radicalized himself, sitting by his computer in the apartment in Trollhättan. On October 6, 2015, something happened that made Anton go from thoughts he didn't share with anyone into action. After graduating from high school, Anton had applied to over 80 jobs without getting past the first interview. This made him very sad and frustrated. Spending two years looking for a job without catching a break would affect any one of us. Two months before the attack, Anton had gotten help from the unemployment office, Arbetsförmedlingen, to find an internship at a local industry in Trollhättan. It was finally happening for Anton. He would spend eight weeks with this company working for free, and then they could choose to hire him permanently. He didn't actually work for free, he got money from the unemployment office but no real salary from the company. But on October 6th, his manager told him that they wouldn't hire him. I don't know why they didn't make Anton's contract permanent. Some employers just use the system and get free labor without ever planning to hiring anyone. Or it could be that Anton didn't make a good enough job. I don't know how this was. And some people accept rejection like that without looking back. But Anton was not one of those people. Instead, his self-loathing grew even more. It was now official. He wasn't good enough. No one will ever hire him. Two days after this rejection, he did an online test for depression and he visited web pages related to how to get help for depression. He searched for different kinds of words related to bipolar disease and depression. He struggled to find an explanation to why he was feeling so incredibly sad and hopeless. Soon after this, he turned his attention to suicide web pages. But Anton, who had always felt alone and like an outsider, didn't want to die alone. Instead, his thoughts started to go in another direction, to the school shooters in Columbine in 1999. Anton was fascinated by Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, and he would share videos of the Columbine massacre on his YouTube channel. When he learned that Harris used to listen to the German band KMFDM, and Ramstein. Anton quickly started listening to them too. Just like Klebold and Harris, Anton was fixated with weapons. He had fantasies of warfare, and he wanted to commit an act of violence to become unforgettable. The day after, on October 9th, Anton knew exactly what he wanted to do. At five in the morning, he logged into his bank and checked his balance to see how much money he had to spend on a weapon. He placed an order for a cold steel Viking, a product marked as a Viking sword, and also purchased the mask and the black coat. Then he started focusing on the Kronan school. Anton had already decided to strike on the 22nd, his lucky number, which left him with less than two weeks to plan everything. He googled Kronan school and looked at pictures of the students, the halls, the classrooms, everything to prepare for the big day. The day before the attack, Anton went online to 4chan and the thread Give me one reason not to kill myself. He also went to see his older brother Peter. They talked for a while and then Anton went home. And when he woke up the next day, he had his plan ready. 
and counted on being killed himself that day. The author and journalist Åsa Erlandsson, who recently published a book about the Trollhättan school attack, summarized her view of Anton Lundin Pettersson like this. He was an incredibly lonely and isolated person. This whole mess is a story about loneliness. There was a family, an older brother and relatives, but you can still feel like you are alone in the world. And that's what it was like for Anton. Loneliness in itself doesn't make you a mass murderer. There were multiple factors that led him to make this decision. He was also deeply influenced by the increasing xenophobia and racism in today's society. Anton Lundin Pettersson died at the scene from the gunshots fired by the police. He killed three people and wounded two more people during his attack. Rest in peace, Lavin Eskandar, Ahmed Hassan, and Nasim Asmo. Sources for this episode was the court documentation and the police files, and also the book Det som aldrig fick ske, translated The Thing That Never Should Happen, by Åsa Erlandsson. And before we get over to the next segment, I want to thank the following new patrons. Thank you to Polly W., Chantel B., Katina G., Mary S., Paul, Dan in Oregon, and Karen Ann. Thank you all so much. I really do appreciate your support. And you know that you can get the episodes ad-free on Patreon, and at the same time support the show. Head over to patreon.com slash Sweden if you want to join. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for True Crime Sweden. And you can email me at truecrimesweden at gmail.com. But enough of that, and let's get over to today's fun fact about Sweden. I'm going to talk about the sport floorball, or innebandy as we call it in Sweden. The word innebandy translates into bandy played inside. Innebandy, or floorball, is the third largest sport in Sweden when it comes to registered players. Where the sport started initially is not really established, but some say it was played in North America in the 50s, but I haven't found any sources to confirm that. What we do know is that the sport started out in the late 1960s in Sweden. The ball used at first was a training ball from baseball, a plastic ball with holes in it. The ball today consists of 26 holes, and several smaller holes to make structure into the plastic, almost like a golf ball. In the beginning of the 1970s, floorball became a registered sport in Sweden. The floor you play on should be about 40 times 20 meters, or 130 times 65 feet. Each team consists of five players and one goalkeeper, and the game consists of three 20-minute periods with a 10-minute pause in between. The goal is smaller than the goals used in, for example, ice hockey, and the clubs is about 1 meter, or about 3.3 feet. Floorball, or innebandy, is played on every school, on every suburban street, and often even at workplaces after hours. It's also often used as warming up before exercising another sport. I can almost promise that everyone who has grown up in Sweden have played in the bandy or floorball in school several times. 
It's all the PE teacher's favorite game. But it's also a sport with a lot of injuries, a lot of sprained ankles from the quick turnings of the foot. But also a lot of injuries to the eyes. Younger players are required to use protective glasses while playing. But this is not required by senior players and therefore not used. But aside from the injuries, it's a really fun sport. It's really exhausting, and during a game, the five players are switched out often, almost like in ice hockey. And one of the big advantages with this sport is that it's not expensive. You don't need a lot of expensive equipment to get started. A club can be bought for about $20. Of course, there are several clubs that cost a lot more, but you can get a regular okay club for $20. Bucks. That's not that much. And the clubs used today are a little bent on the blade. This is because of the sorrow trick. A Finnish player named Janne Täke was the one who started doing this trick. He kind of carried or transported the ball on the blade from one side to the other. And this got the name the sorrow trick. And after that, the clubs are a little bent on the blade to make this move easier. Try googling floorball if you want to see what this is all about. And maybe you should order a club and a ball for your kids for Christmas. It's time to make this sport grow, I think. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next time. And I also want to wish everyone happy holidays. Goodbye. Hey, Dora.